I say that's the beauty of cross-country skiing is you lose yourself in the moment. You're not thinking about working out. You're not thinking about your deadlines or your work or your whatever problems you might have. Solely in the moment, concentrating on that movement of cross-country skiing through the woods uh, and everything else just kind of disappears. And that's the beauty of cross-country skiing. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 94, Jim Hill on cross-country and skate skiing. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today we have a great show for you from our guest, Jim Hill, and he's here to talk to us about his passion for cross-country skiing. Cross-country skiing is a sport we've not talked about yet on the Adventure Sports Podcast, and it's very timely because the snow is on the way just around the corner. So Jim grew up in Virginia, and then many years ago he moved to Eugene, Oregon to uh, be on a cross-country track team. And he was there in 1982 and 83, and he had a love for for running that eventually turned into just a passion for cross-country skiing. And so, Jim, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for having me, Kurt. Ah, you're most welcome. You know, Jim, like so many of our guests, took his passion for adventure sports and did turn it into a business, so he is also an entrepreneur and I'm excited to visit with him toward the end of the show about his company, Sport Hill, which provides all sorts of outdoor sporting goods. We'll let Jim explain all of that. But Jim, before we dive in there, please take a few minutes to tell our listeners more of your story, how you ended up in Eugene, Oregon, and how you transitioned from track to cross-country skiing. Okay, um, yes, I'll do that. So came out to uh, Eugene, Oregon, uh, enrolled at University of Oregon. I was recruited to run track and be on the cross-country team in the fall and did that through 1984. We had a very, very competitive track team. Uh, we won national men's double meet in 1984. We had many Olympians and, uh, on the team, and uh, I was fortunate, fortunate enough to make a couple of world championship teams and participate in three Olympic trials. But early 80s, uh, I noticed that the snow level in Eugene, there's almost no snow in Eugene itself, but an hour drive from here, you get to 5,000 feet. And on a typical winter, there'd be anything from two to six feet of snow. And I took an interest in cross-country skiing um, one thing I really loved about it was it was not only complementary to being a distance runner, but you could do it for two, three, four, five hours at a, at a time and uh, not get injured. Unlike being a, a distance runner, you're out an hour, hour and a half a day, and that's about it. So that that was my kind of initial um, hit on cross-country skiing. I started skiing uh, right when or right before skate skiing got popular, and just, I had the typical old waxless skis with the fish scales, and we'd break, you know, me and some buddies would go up and and uh, break trails in the Cascades. Uh, I'd never really seen a groomed trail or knew what a groomed trail was. And then, oh, a few years after that, 85, 86, um, I started hitting some of the groomed trails, and even though I was still a world-class runner, while I was diagonal skiing, the old method, I'd have little old ladies pass me on their skate skis and think, oh my gosh, okay, something's up with this skate ski. Uh, It took me a few years to learn that, and I was a little slower to learn the skate skiing, and, um, but, you know, little by little, I stuck with it and got a little bit better, a little bit better. So that was kind of my introduction to how I got into the cross-country ski world, and I really um, had uh, hundreds of adventures and experiences, 
and it helped me launch a whole new line of clothing uh, as an offshoot of that. Oh, that's really cool. So some of our listeners don't live in snowy states with mountains and things like that, so they may not know that much about the different types of skiing. And, you know, you're mentioning cross-country skiing with the old fish-scale skis and then skate skiing, which is a variant on cross-country skiing. But how are either of these different from just downhill skiing, alpine skiing? Well, um, alpine skiing, we I do that. I, I'm a better cross-country skier by far than I am an alpine skier. But uh, the, the cross-country skiing, you're challenging yourself going uphill, downhill, on the flats. I kind of liken cross-country skiing when I'm describing it to people who've never done it before. It's almost a mix between uh, cycling and running, where um, just like cycling, you've gotta, you're moving pretty fast, you've got to pay attention, you're you know, turning and curving, and you can be out for a long time. That's a little bit like running, too, where you're using your whole body, you're on your feet, not on wheels. Um, I think it's really kind of a perfect blend between the two of them. Uh, the other neat thing about the cross-country skiing is I, you can go off by yourself, break trail, and be off in the middle of nowhere completely by yourself. Or on the other side of the spectrum, you can be on groom trails with all kinds of fit people flying along, skate skiing, trying to keep up or trying not to get past. Uh, so it has a very, very wide variety of what you can do with it. Um, one thing I have not done, which me and my wife want to start, is do more backcountry where we're uh, getting cross-country skis with good, decent edges on them and more substantial boots and explore some of the areas in the Cascades, which we can't reach with our with our ultra-skinny skis. So that's a third type of skiing, and we did cover backcountry skiing with Greg Floyd several episodes ago, and he does a lot of mountaineering skiing where he climbs the mountains and then does tele-turns down or locks his heel down and does alpine turns down. And So that's another type of sport, but cross-country skiing you can do anywhere. You don't need a mountain, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about it. That's an obvious point I didn't even bring up. You do not need a uh, lift. And uh, I saw a T-shirt once a kid in the high school team was wearing, high school ski team was wearing, that um, had the graphic of two cross-country skiers and and uh, take off of the old Mel Brooks movie, Blazing Saddles. We don't need no stinking lifts. And um, <laughs> he, you know, I just thought that summed it up. It was like, uh, heck, we'll just, we'll, I want to go on top of the mountain. I'll just ski to the top of the mountain. And, and to me, that's if you like the challenge, the physical challenge. But on the other hand, you have people, you have, uh, we've seen a lot of older folks who have done no skiing. In uh, a team, I help coach a high school cross-country team. We get kids, we get some kids who have never even seen snow. And we get them on cross-country skis and take it a little easy at a time, put them on the flat surface. Um, and then they're a lot less tim- intimidated than getting on a lift and having to go down a hill. So that's the beauty of it. You can slide along at five miles per hour, or you can motor through some gnarly black diamonds on your skate skis, or you can do the backcountry skiing uh, like we talked about. Yeah, that's that's fun. So my wife this year wants to take up skate skiing, and she's not done it. She and I used to do some cross-country skiing together, um, but she's not done skate skiing particularly and she wants to give that a shot this year. Describe how skate skiing differs from just generic cross-country. Okay, so um, the traditional cross-country, which has been around for thousands of years, uh, probably emanating, uh, coming out of uh, Scandinavia, um, is almost, you know, anyone can do it. If you can walk and shuffle, it's the same motion, swinging your arms, pushing with your skis, um, and you can go really, really slow, almost like you're walking, or the really fast skiers are going really fast. That's that's just called the classic stride or the uh, diagonal stride, they call it. Uh, skate skiing, you'll have a shorter ski, a little um, flatter ski, it won't be as cambered, and the poles will be much higher than your classic uh, ski poles, so that'll be up to about your uh, somewhere between your nose and your chin. 
And you liken that to um, like rollerblading or roller skating with poles is the best way to describe that. Whereas the classic cross-country skiing is a motion just like you see someone pushing a skateboard. You push, glide, push, glide, push, glide, alternating legs. Uh, the skate skiing is, uh, imagine someone on rollerblades or, or roller skates or, or ice skates for that matter, and except they've got poles. So they're, they're literally skating with poles. That's a neat distinction. So the skate skiing can be quite a bit faster, I would guess, but it sounds like it would take a lot more effort, too. Um, when you're good, you can actually conserve your energy uh, just pretty well with skate skiing. The beginners often expend more energy skate skiing, um, but it, it did take me years to get to the point where I could control my energy level in skate skis. And yes, the skate skiing uh, will go much faster for example, we put on a ski race that is 14 miles long, and the top skate skiers will get around it in about 50 minutes. So um, they're just really they're going about four minute per mile pace. And uh, having run the mile in under four minutes back in my college days, I know how fast a sub four minute mile is, and the top skate skiers will do that for 20, you know, 20, 30 miles. Wow, so much more efficient than just simply running. I guess you get a nice glide out of every step if you do it right. Much faster than just running. You'll you'll go like a, a good miler in college will run four minutes or something under four minutes, and the skate skiers can go along for that for 20 or 30 miles. So when people are watching the Olympics and they see the biathlons where people are cross-country skiing and, and stopping to shoot at a target, that's skate skiing, isn't it? Uh, exactly. That's exactly right. And the biathlon, which I've read, is the most watched spectator sport on TV in Europe in the wintertime. Um, biathlon, I've never done it. It looks it looks like a really fun sport, but the challenge is to ski hard, stop, and then get your heart rate as low as possible because a fast heart rate is going to make the gun bounce all around. Um, so they want to get their heart would go from a like a 160, 170 heart rate and get it down to about 120 in a matter of seconds, and then they'll shoot uh, between heart rates. So they'll time it so they'll pull the trigger between heart rates, between heartbeats. Wow, that takes a lot of of uh, body control and self discipline. That, that's pretty amazing that people can pull that off. It, it is a really fun sport to watch. So what benefits do you personally get out of skate skiing? Why do you do it? Uh, well, I like, I like both types of skiing. I, even, I like downhill skiing, too. But um, the classic skiing I like if I kind of want to take it easy, if I just want to cruise and break some trail, go to some area that we haven't been before that's not groomed. Uh, with the skate skiing, it's more dynamic. You're going to be moving much faster. Um, covering a lot more ground, uh, but you need a fairly well-packed surface. It can either be um, it can either be crust cruising, like in the springtime, have the snow can get all crusty on top. That's the funnest type of skiing because then you can go any, anywhere. Or if you're on groomed trails, we do a lot of skiing on snowmobile trails. So we'll either uh, we'll chase the snowmobile groomer. Um, all around the Cascades, and we'll call and find out where the snowmobile groomer has gone and just chase that. Or we'll go to one of the um, groom ski areas, uh, Mount Bachelor or Hoodoo, um, or if we're anywhere in the West, uh, we'll go to one of the groomed areas. And So it's kind of, um, if we're near a groomed area, or, or we can do some crest cruising in the springtime, we'll use our skate skis. If not groomed and the snow is thick or, you know, new powder or something, then we'll just do, we'll break trail and do classic skiing. Cool. So I'm familiar with the uh, Colorado Rockies. That's where I live and the the snow conditions here. I don't know a lot about the Cascades, but one thing that's unique or different between the two, I should say, is that you have what you call a snow line there. In Colorado, the snow line is in Texas, right? So... Mm-hmm. 
Um, we have snow yeah, all the way down. That. Mm-hmm. So what is this snow line, and, and how does that impact your, your sport? Um, it has a huge impact. And we had a weird, a very weird phenomenon last year where it snowed in Eugene, so on the valley floor, we're about 600 feet. It snowed, it put about 7, 8 inches of powder, and then it got, and it stayed cold, about 10, 15 degrees. And the Cascades, had, for about two weeks, had no snow. So we had a very weird flip of the formula where we had great skiing in Eugene, at the high school ski team. I think we got 10 practices in for the team in the valley on golf courses and on, on the running trails. Um, but typically, you can, uh, there is no snow in the valley where Eugene and Corvallis is, uh, maybe all year long, but then you can drive to about four to 5,000 feet and get uh, normally very predictable snow. Uh, unfortunately, the last two years, we've had an incredibly dry snow years, and we've had to drive all the way to Mount Bachelor, um, which is about 6,000 feet, and they seem to get hit on uh, snow a lot more than um, the general cascades have. So it does impact us. Unfortunately, we're not like Colorado where you get you get snow in Denver, you get snow in Boulder, um, and and Vail. Um, we you know we look to the mountains to get our snow. Now the nice flip side of that, as much as I'd love to walk out the door and go skiing, the nice flip side of that is you typically have dry running trails, dry streets, and dry bike paths. I shouldn't say dry, but unicy, non-icy, non-snowy all winter long, so you can go out and you can get your runs in, get your bike rides in, and not be fighting the snow and ice. Oh, that's kind of fun, so you can uh, do it all. There are times in Colorado when uh, the lower elevations are dry enough, that, and, it, and in Colorado's just blessed with more sunshine than any state deserves. It's either sunny and nice or snowing and beautiful in Colorado all winter long, and it's a beautiful thing, but people mountain bike year around here. Um, mm-hmm. Because at lower elevations, some of the trails will dry out in the sunshine between storms. And, and so we have a little of that, but it sounds like yours is much more reliable where you can do multiple sports year-round. That's really neat. Um, typically, you can. And people have always joked that you could you could surf in the morning and uh, go skiing in the afternoon because there's only about a two-and-a-half-hour drive between the two. So I've personally never done it, <laughs> but uh, I've, I've heard of people uh, literally surfing in the morning and then getting in a car and doing a ski adventure in the afternoon, or vice versa. So uh, it's possible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can't do that in Colorado, but what some people do is they'll ski in the morning and whitewater kayak in the afternoon, or even more fun. Yep, we'll climb a mountain jump in our kayaks, toboggan down the snow, and then jump into the water all in one fell swoop and run the river. So that's a lot of fun, too. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Colorado and Oregon have a lot a lot in common, acts that way. So, um... Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So why would you encourage people to try cross-country skiing? What are the benefits? Well, I, I tell you, for, having been a uh, high school, college, and a professional runner, distance runner, um, from my background there, what's great about cross-country skiing you can get as much aerobic physical exercise as you want, and it's very, very easy on the joints. So it's easy on the knees, it's easy on the back. You can um, go as slow as you want. Um, you can almost grow at a walking pace and enjoy it. Or if you're a crazy rate athlete and you want an amazing two-hour workout, you can get your heart rate to whatever, uh, max it out for as long as you want. And you can do it. A typical, you know, example I give to people is if I did not run for, let's say, six months and then I went out and ran ran for three hours, I probably wouldn't be able to walk for a month. But I can literally not cross-country ski all summer long and fall, go up in December, first time out, ski three hours, and I might be a little sore, but probably not. And that is the great thing about cross-country skiing. It's very, very easy on the joints and the body. Wow. So it's really versatile. Sounds like you can you can take it easier when you need to, and you can go hard, and, and it kind of takes care of your body while you go. That is an advantage I never even thought about. 
So you make me want to do more of it. If you're thinking about your future, think about Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Think a beautiful mountain campus where hiking, biking, kayaking, and snow riding are right outside your door. Think a friendly community buzzing with music, arts, events, and sports. Think faculty mentors, real research, and professional experiences that prepare you to both make a living and make a life. If you think college should be an adventure, think Fort Lewis College. See for yourself at fortlewis.edu. For 20 years, Bent Gate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bent Gate is here to help. Bent Gate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bent Gate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bent Gate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check bentgate.com for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events. I, I have to share a little personal note. Where our house is, there's a large forest behind us, and I've kind of marked out about a one-mile cross-country ski trail that I'll use just to get a little exercise on. But it's not ideal for skate skiing. It's more wrestling your way through the forest on a lot of steep slopes. But that just kind of spanks me. It wears me out because of the terrain. But what you're describing is uh, more of a matter of you go as hard as you want to go or as easy as you want to go. Absolutely. So I would recommend that you try to map out a slightly longer route that is not as challenging. And um, my best coach has always said, train, don't strain. Right. If you go out, if you go out and do something uh, and, and you're just over your head, you're at your max all the time, that's not fun. Who wants to do that? You want to be able to go out and say, you know, I'm really enjoying this. I've been out here for an hour and I'm really enjoying it. I'm going to go for another hour. And all the fitness takes care of itself from that, all of it, all of it. And um, yeah, coming back from my professional running background, we used to say that we could get 80% in shape simply by running easy an hour a day and then doing a few like 10 strides at the end of the run, 10 80-yard pickups. That would give us 80% of the fitness that we need to get. So taking that same thought and applying it to pressing skiing, you're going to get amazing, you're going to get 80, 90% of the fittest you're going to get just by going out and moving, getting your heart rate to 120, 130 for an hour, two hours, three hours. And the trick is, don't think of it as a workout. Think of it as you're just loving what you do. You're like, you're not wanting to go back. You're not, you know, oh, dinner, I better get back for dinner, but I want to do one more loop. And that's, I say that's the beauty of cross-country skiing is you lose yourself in the moment. You're not thinking about working out. You're not thinking about your deadlines or your work or your whatever problems you might have. You're just so solely in the moment concentrating on that movement of cross-country skiing through the woods uh, and everything else just kind of disappears. And oh. I think that's the beauty of cross-country skiing. Sign me up. Man, that's sage advice. So train, don't strain. And mm-hmm. I, that sounds awesome. That sounds really cool. So tell us a specific story about an experience you had that hooked you on the sport. Um, okay, specific that really hooked me on the sport. I would say when I was in college, I was still in college, I was still running, and we went down to the local ski shop, me and um, some of my roommates, and we we rented skis, just the old, this is back in the early 80s, the old long um, wax skis, skating really wasn't developed yet, and we just 
uh, I went up to a route that I knew about from running up in the Cascades, 5,000 feet, and we just got out there. It was really the first time I'd done it and been on skis. And we just took turns breaking trail, and it was quiet, couldn't hear any cars. The the snow was great. The sky was crystal blue. And it was just me and my roommates and just gliding along. Um, my form was probably atrocious, but I didn't care. And just, you know, tucking and gliding down the hills and charging up them. Um, and then it was kind of that one day that I was like, you know, I really, really like this sport. I really like this sport. And uh, and it, it really just, that was day one. And it kind of grew, it basically grew from there. And most cases of trying, you know, trying the skate skiing and trying different areas and doing groom surfaces, every layer of that I've enjoyed. Um, I don't think there has been a single day out skiing that I haven't had a good time. Um uh, well, maybe a couple ice days. I would say if it's real icy, I maybe avoid that. But other than that, um, I recently, a year and a half ago, I did the Berkey Biner 50-kilometer uh, uh, ski race in Wisconsin. My company is a, a sponsor of that. And it's it's a grueling up-and-down race. It's it's uh, Wisconsin people think flat, but this was anything but flat. And it took me many hours to finish. And... Um, you know, halfway through, I'm exhausted and thinking, I still have a long ways to go in the 31-mile race. But within a half hour of finishing, I'm already thinking, gosh, when can I come back and do this again? (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of fun. Well, what about a time that things did not go right? Do you have a good epic story for us and how you managed to to get through? Well, I would say um, it's kind of a lead-in to a little bit bigger story. Uh, or a little bit different story, and um, it. I was up skiing at Mount Bachelor with my in-laws, my wife and my in-laws. We were renting a little cabin up near Ben, and I was skiing on the cross-country ski the groom trails, and I was a beginner, and um, it was really cold and windy. And I'd been in the clothing business for a couple of years already, uh, making running clothing, and I was out there and it was cold and I was thinking, you know, the running the run, the running clothing we made was fine for running for an hour or whatever in most weather conditions. But this is a little different. This the weather was colder, the wind was blowing and I was out there for three, four hours and I was that's when I got the idea of okay, I I need to really change the type of clothing people are wearing. And uh, that's how we got into the, the uh, clothing business um, with my company, Sport Hill. That's kind of cool. So it was a matter of getting out in some conditions that were a little bit uncomfortable that kind of triggered your whole idea for Sport Hill. Absolutely. For, well, for the ski, the uh, ski and outdoor clothing of Sport Hill. Because prior to that, we had been strictly a running clothing company. And that one trip to... A bachelor, you know, on a cold, windy day, realized that the, uh, maybe realized that running clothing was uh, up, not up to snuff for uh, the conditions I was facing on cross country skis. So, um, if you're ready to talk about that, I can. Well, you bet. You know, so many of our of our audience, they would love to be able to form a, a an income around the sport they love to do and. I'll, I just really believe that people that pull that off are, are just rock stars, right? It's, it's a great thing when people can do that. Um, ideas are a lot easier than implementation. So how did you go from the, boy, we need a different type of clothing for these conditions, for this type of skiing, to having your current company, Sport Hill? Right. Okay, so I had been doing running clothing for oh, about three, four years and um, growing and um, making a little money and being successful and, you know, making a living off it. Got up in the mountains skiing, realized, okay, this running clothing is not cutting the mustard, and thinking about it and thinking about it. And then I um, remembered that a World Cup ski champion and a multi-Olympian was living in Eugene. He moved to Eugene a few years prior by the name of Bill Koch. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to just 
when I got back to Eugene on that next Monday, I looked him up in the phone book, called him up, and I said, hey, Bill, you don't know me, but this is back when everyone used phone books <laughs> a long time ago. I said, hey, Bill, you don't know me, but this is who I am. I'm a runner, got into skiing, have this running clothing company. Would you want to come down and talk to me? He came down to talk, and he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not racing right now. I recently retired, and I don't have a clothing deal right now. Um, but I'd be willing to help you. So then I thought, okay, so I've got, I had just by coincidence, a account in uh, Canada had asked us for a very cold weather running pan. And I had called a fabric company that we did, had been dealing with for years, and I told them what I needed. And I remember the president of the company telling me, um, well, I got this stuff, nobody likes it, and it's a real pain to make but I'll send it out to you. He sent it out, and we originally made running pants out of it, thinking that it was going to just, just as samples. Well, I gave Bill Koch, uh, spelled K-O-C-H, Bill Koch, I gave him a pair of these running pants samples. He went up to the mountains, and he came back and looked at me, and he said, I've been in this sport my whole entire life. You know, um, he'd been on already three Olympic teams, he goes, this by far is the absolute best fabric I've ever used for cross-country skiing. So we made a deal with Bill, and the line, it was part of the Sport Hill Company, but it was called Coquex And we uh, worked together, our fabric and our designers, to work with him on opening accounts and spreading the word. And that launched us into the ski business. Um, this was back in 1990, 1991, maybe. Um, he went on to make the Olympic team that year, carried the U.S. flag in the Olympics. We, by about 1992, we started sponsoring the Canadian Olympic, uh, cross-country Olympic team and did, did so for probably 17, 18 years. Um, we, I think we were our longest apparel sponsor that they'd ever had, uh, they they were training in the gear. We were making special race suits for them. Uh, so that that's kind of how I fell into the whole cross country ski market. I did take something just like with the running. I took something I love to do. I uh, love to run. Love cross country ski. And I was very very fortunate and lucky enough to be able to marry that with a way to make a living, uh, make clothing that was missing in the marketplace that nobody was doing. That we figured out a way to uh, bring clothing to the marketplace and sports that we love that other people weren't doing. Wow. So do you have a tip for us on how to get a product into the marketplace? Just one marketing, one-liner. Oh. Um, That's a tough question, I know. <laughs> per, per, persistence. Persistence. And I say persistence because it's just no matter how good the product is, Everyone, no matter, they might tell you they love it, but when it comes to buying it or when a, when a store comes to buying it, they're going to put a hundred barriers in front of you why they can't buy it um, or why it doesn't fit in or why it's not priced right or, or whatever. And I've launched a lot of products with uh, two different companies and there's just the buyers, uh, they're going to put buyers at retail stores uh, they're bombarded by people selling them stuff. So their first response is they might like the product, but they're normally the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh response is no. And um, I would tell your listeners that if they have a product that they really believe in, just being persistent in, in chasing the sale and chasing the order, uh, because it's never easy no matter how good the product is. Mm. Good advice. Tell us a little bit more about your product line that you currently have and how people can find you. If they if they want some of your products, where do they go? Okay. So Sport Hill, um, I started in 1985, as I said, primarily as running clothing, and then we branched into Nordic skiing and outdoor clothing in 1991. Um, Nordic skiing and uh, outdoor clothing is probably 60% of our business now. Um, we're sold all around the country. A lot of specialty shops have us. 
a few big places like L.L. Bean has us, REI, um, has been a customer for years and years. Um, the e- probably the easiest way to look at our complete line, which consists of maybe 100 styles, is at sporthill.com. And um, that's got everything we do is right there. Uh, people can either buy direct from us or they can buy from their local dealer, whichever is easier for them. Um, we've got, I don't know, 300 dealers around the country that are selling our product. Um, we're small. We're family-owned. Um, we never went public. Our motto is passionate and independent since 1985, and uh, we've stayed that way. We've stayed completely independent since our beginning. Um, most other companies we've seen have um, gotten bought out or gone out of business or merged with other companies. We've just worked really hard to stay independent this, uh, the last 30 years. Oh, that's great. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fill you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. It's Tim Emmett. I'm a professional climber and wingsuit pilot. I really enjoy public speaking, and I've spoken at schools, events, and businesses all over the world. I believe that you can change the way you feel by changing what you think about and using lessons learned from a world in extreme sports. If you're looking for someone lively to brighten up your event, and maybe expand your concept of possibility, send me an email to tim at timemmet.com. That's T-I-M at T-I-M-E-M-M-E-T-T dot C-O-M. Thanks a lot. Jim, I got to tell you how I found you. Um, my wife, like I said, wants to take up skate skiing this winter. And so she bought a pair of your pants. And she liked them so much, she bought my daughter a pair of the pants. She brought them to me and says, wow, look at this material. Look at this stuff. This is awesome. And I looked at the tag and I said, I'm going to call this guy. Oh, <laughs> that's fantastic. That's so great. That's actually, that yeah, that's how I, I found you for story. the interview. So I love that story. Yeah, we have... A- Extremely passionate customers, and I, I, my best analogy is like a, being a craft brewing company. Let's say your favorite craft brewer in Colorado that you love to go to, you love to drink your beer. Um, we're not even after Bush, that's for sure, but um, we're we're just really very very committed to what we do and our craft. Um, we're never going to be a billion dollar company. That's not going to happen. Um, but you know, you can call. And if there's a problem, you can, uh, within a few minutes, uh, ask for me, and I'll probably be talking to you. So that's that's our difference. Hey, do what you love and love what you do and do it well and take care of the customer. All good things. Yes, I agree with you, Chris. (laughs) That's cool. So back to cross-country skiing, people love to hear tips and tricks for the sport, something that can help them get to the next level. What do you have for us? Um, okay, well, for cl- for just regular classic skiing, the old-style classic skiing, which most people do and can do, I would just say um, if you don't have modern equipment, I see a lot of people with equipment from the 70s and early 80s out there, it's probably worth renting some modern equipment, some modern boots. The bindings are fantastic now. Uh, the fish scales, or there's some other systems for waxless skiing that are just fantastic. You'll turn easier, you'll glide better. Uh, that's one tip, is, is to make sure you, you've got some modern equipment. The, it's lightweight, easy to take care of. Uh, all the ski shops rent it, typically very, very inexpensively. 
um, for for the day or for the weekend. Um, and then you can try it out. You see how you like it. You can, you know, rent some different styles. And then if you get to a point where you're like, yeah, I think I'll buy a pair. Cross-country skiing at the entry level is not expensive. And if you do buy a set, um, boots and bindings and skis are maybe $200. And it'll last you 15 years, you know. So it's it's not like a pair of running shoes that you'll run you'll run out of in six months at least, you know, every six months you're getting new running shoes. The crushing your ski equipment for it will last a long, long time. And I would say the next piece of advice for the listeners, if they want to take up skate skiing, is try to go to an area that has uh, lessons that will, you can either rent equipment at your local ski shop or normally the ski hill will have equipment you can rent. I would say it's highly, highly worth it, More, even more so than classic skiing. With the skate skiing, um, a good two-hour lesson, it will bring you a long ways in your learning curve. Um, so that some people are fantastic on ice skates. They're fantastic on downhill skis or rollerblades. They'll pick it up right away. But most people aren't, and uh, a lesson will do them a lot of good. Is it similar in any way to ice skating? Absolutely. If you're great on ice skates, You'll be really great on cross. You'll be very, very good on cross country uh, skate skis. So, it's a similar yeah. movement, just with a lot longer blade, then, huh? Absolutely. I'm I'm terrible on ice skates. Uh, I'm not very good on roller blades. Uh, so I think the skate skiing is actually much easier than ice skates and easier than roller blades. Yeah, I would I would expect it to be a lot more stable. The length of the ski really makes a big difference. I'm I'm the same way. I can ice skate a little bit. I can ski like crazy, but man, you put me on ice skates, <laughs> they're out from under me as much as as they stay under me. So right. So if you can do any ice skating at all or rollerblading, the switch to skate skiing will won't be hard. And but again, a lesson um, either at area or through a pro that you know or a friend um, will go a long way. Well, that's awesome. Jim, it sounds like you have some really cool products. Do you have any special promotions for our listeners? Absolutely. I can offer a promotion. Um, if they go to our website, sporthill.com, and they want to buy something, we can give them uh, 15% off any purchase um, for the next month if they enter code PRO17. P R O one seven fifteen percent off. Pro one seven. Pro seventeen. Beautiful. Thank you very much for that. That's awesome. And it's the right time of the year too, so if people want to gear up, take advantage of Absolutely. it, right? Absolutely. 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 And uh thank you for mentioning that and I appreciate the opportunity for that. Very cool. Well, what is the coolest experience that you've had? The coolest experience I've ever had was it was completely unexpected. Me and my wife, we have a cabin up in the Cascades, about an hour and a half from here, and we had parked. We had uh, driven down to where the groomed snowmobile trails were. And when I say groomed, I'm talking about a quarter-million-dollar gigantic clean-off groomer that grooms these trails. We had skied out a couple, three, four miles to the edge of this lake and called Crescent Lake. And we got out there, and we're on the edge of the lake, and there was a big, gigantic beach, and there was this hoarfrost. And I didn't know what hoarfrost was. I had to look it up. And it's kind of like, it was, it was very, it was pretty cold. It was about 15 degrees, no wind, beautiful sunny day. And the hoarfrost, imagine like potato chips, but they were like ice crystals, formed like potato chips, standing up on their edge. And how they got like that, I have no idea. But we skied up and down this beach on the hoarfrost, and it was the fastest yet most stable skiing I've ever done. We were skate skiing. And it was one of the things where, have you ever been on a bicycle? I've been on a bicycle with a 30-mile-per-hour wind at your back. Mm, or, yeah. you know, have you ever been running and you're going down this huge hill and you can't believe how fast you're going? That was the experience we had. We had this beautiful setting. We had views of the mountains. We had this beautiful lake. I think the lake was frozen over, actually. Beautiful blue sky day. Just me and my wife just skiing on this beach. 
on this hoarfrost, and I've had that experience once, and I've never had it again, and I'm really looking forward to hitting that again. <laughs> That's cool. We get that hoarfrost oh once or twice a year when the conditions are just right. We're at 8,600 feet, and so mm-hmm. if we get a nice fog bank that just hangs out and the temperature's right, then, man, the crystals just start growing on every twig and every blade of grass, and, you know, every tree just turns into this beautiful white... I mean, it looks like something out of a, a postcard. You know, it's just amazing stuff. But I haven't it, tried it really skiing does. on it. Try skiing because it's it's not, whether you're classic skiing or skate skiing, you'll just you can't believe how fast you're going. Yet you're going as fast as you're on ice, but it's not it's not I you know ice is so unstable and you can feel like you're gonna break your head. But this is not like that because the hoarfrost forgives and it you can edge on it and you can turn on it so i would say that would be my uh my uh you know probably uh right after that i'd say the crush cruising in the springtime crush cruising is when you go out on skate skis or classic skis but you have these cycles where it warms up to 60 70 degrees during the day then it freezes at night and does that you know over a week's time so you have this crust and then you can go skate ski everywhere. Nothing needs to be groomed. You can just go. And that is an absolute blast. Um, you know, you can just go. It, it, like, everything's groomed. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Oh, that is great. You know, I love the enthusiasm that you have for the sport, and I can tell that it's it's been a big part of your life. That's the reason why we started this podcast, because we wanted to talk to people like you and give you a place where you could talk to thousands of other people out there who will learn from you and maybe pick up some tips or a new sport for themselves. I think you've done an excellent job doing that. So to kind of wrap things up for us, do you have a funny story? Oh, man, do I have a funny story? Let me think about this a minute. Um, Do I have a funny story? Um, well, I would think the most interesting fun I've had unexpectedly is coach, I help coach a high school cross-country ski team. And even though we're in the Valley, we get about uh, 30 kids out for the team every year. And um, just, I wouldn't really say it's a funny story, but I think it's more an inspirational story. Just to get these kids, some of these kids that are brand new and they've never been on skis before, and by the end of the, even by the middle of the season, they're uh, they're competent on both the classic style and the skate style. And then you're thinking, okay, I just we just taught a kid how to do this. Who if if the team was not around, they would never know how to do it. And so every year we're graduating 10, 15 kids that now know how to cross-country ski and uh, can spread the word and teach their kids. And anywhere they go now, they're able to ski. So I, I realize that's not a funny story, and uh, but I think that's, I would say that would be like the inspirational story of, um, it's also how you can get back to what you love. And that's one way I get back is a volunteer ski coach. Um I think I'm in my eighth year now, so that's. I think that would be kind of the way I end the story is uh, is get the younger generation involved and get them enthusiastic about the sport and to see. I've had kids like want to quit the first day because they were cold and couldn't do it well, but by the state meet, they're thrilled and they're they're so happy because they finished 25th in the state meet, you know, and they just can't wait till the season starts again next year. Uh, I love it. That's. Man, that's what it's all about. You found something that obviously has been a real encouragement in your own life, and now you're sharing it with others and teaching kids how to do it so that they can enjoy that as well. I love it. It promotes health, it promotes well-being, and it promotes the sport. So good for you. Way to go. Well, thank you, Curtis. You know, it's like I don't even need thanks because it's something you enjoy. I don't even think of it as work. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So one more time. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more about this cross-country skiing or about Sport Hill and all of your products? Okay. They can visit sporthill.com. That's uh, 
S P O R T H I L L dot com. Um, they can call our 800 number, which is 800-622-8444, and that uh, discount for the 15% off is PRO17, and they're welcome. Uh, we're a real small company, and uh, it would only take a few minutes to get a hold of me or leave a message, and I'll call them back, So, um, or they can always email me through our website. Very cool. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. Okay, thank you, Curtis. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you for your time as well. And as always, until our next show, get out there and have some fun. Hey, come be a guest on our show. All you need to do is go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click the Contact Us button.